Well, what is up, Messed Up listeners? We are here for episode, I can't believe it, but we're already at episode number 20 here on the Messed Up Podcast. I'm your co-host, Draftneck Mark, Mark Luino, here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range on Twitter, talking New York Mets baseball as we do after every single series. Just finished up a series in Arizona against the Diamondbacks. Started off great, a little bumpy in between, but we ended up winning the series, getting the victory over the Diamondbacks in a three-game series. We grabbed two on our way to San Diego a little bit later tonight. And we got a lot to talk about here because there have been some great things going on in New York Mets baseball land. There's a couple things that are a little bit of a concern. The farm is doing well. So we are covering all the bases in episode number 20, a big milestone for us. Not gonna lie. I didn't know if we'd get to 20 episodes when I first started. I've never done a podcast like this before. And typically I'm not great at really sticking on things like I did series on my channel years ago and I'd go like 15, 16 episodes and then I go, I'm kind of done with it. The podcast game, I'm addicted and I'm happy that we made it to 20. James, how you feeling? Great. appreciate that. And I feel a little weird you saying you didn't think we'd make it to 20. That's kind of insulting, but this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is fun nonetheless. <laughs> no, it wasn't more. It wasn't really like, a, you know, ah, you know, James wasn't going to do good enough. It was more so of like me being like, do I even like podcasting? I don't know, but I've definitely caught a little bit of a bug here. Need to tell you guys before we get going into the game, of course, where to follow us. Social media at Metzed Up on Twitter and Instagram. You can go to the YouTube channel, Metzed Up Podcast, where we're uploading videos of what we're doing here because me and James talk on Zoom. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. In order to listen to our podcast, if you're watching it on YouTube, you have a chance to listen to it as well. Make sure you guys check us out all over there. And a big shout out to the Twitter we hit a thousand followers on the Twitter. That's a huge milestone for us, considering that this has basically like been brought up from the ground up here with really nothing besides like my social media presence and James really killing it on the memes and everything like that. So thank you for all the guys and all the girls that have been following us, listening to us, and showing us the support. We really do appreciate it. But I think we're ready to start talking about what happened in this series, right? Yeah, definitely. Before we get into real baseball, I kind of want, I give a lot of weird stats every single episode, every single segment. I want to give a weird stat about our listens. As of earlier this afternoon, probably around 12 noonish, we had the exact same amount of listens on Spotify and Apple Music on this podcast. Wow, that is weird. How bizarre is that? Exactly split down the middle. I'm assuming it's not 50 50. What is it? No, it's 45 45 and a couple of Google podcasts and some other weird ones I don't even remember right now. Probably, but probably I, I give love to all of them too. because they have us all on there. I sh- and you mentioned them before. So I will retroactively say that we mentioned them. Yes. Thank you guys for the listens. It's been growing really steadily, which is nice. And I'm super excited to see where this goes in the future. Game one, Arizona Diamondbacks. We're feeling good. We had Jacob DeGrom on the mound and he did Jacob DeGrom things. He degrominated again. Yeah. Degromination was the word for that was Monday. No, that was Tuesday. Yeah, that was Monday. Monday. Yeah. Monday, yeah. It was one of those weird games. I kind of remember it from the Harvey runs from back in the day where you just had a no-hitter vibe from, like, the first inning of this game. Yeah. Like, he opened up the game with a couple breaking balls, I think a couple a slider here and there, and then he had 10 consecutive fastballs that rounded up to 100 miles an hour right off the bat, first inning of the game. Yeah, he was pumping early on, throwing the fastballs as he has pretty much all season long in the first inning. He really does like to go with the fastball heavy that inning. And with these Arizona Dimeback hitters, I mean, literally from pitch one, they looked completely overpowered. Like you said, we thought it was going to be no hitter type night stuff. Obviously, it didn't end up that way. I honestly don't even think that if he was throwing a no hitter that they would have let him because I still think they want to kind of ease him back a little bit. But he had no hitter stuff. We say this, I feel like, every time he's on the mound, but I think the comparison to Harvey back when we were in Arizona and he had like those great few starts, I think that's a really good comparison because that's what it felt like. It just, he had that aura around him where it's like, you're just not touching me. Yeah, it was pure just domination from the jump. You mentioned just now that he likes to like limit, like you only use the fastball early in the game. He kind of did that this entire game. He toyed with this lineup and really like only was throwing fastballs and some sliders. He only threw two. Pitches that weren't a fastball and slider the whole night. One changeup and one curveball. His first curveball of the year that was nasty, even though he hasn't thrown it all year. Dropped it in for a called strike, which is like, that's not even fair. It was at but like 92, wasn't it as well? I, like it was I like a fast curveball. It was like crazy. It was like really hard cutting too and just dropped right in the corner. It's like, how can you do this? He only threw the fastball and the slider, like I said. And he got the six innings, eight Ks, two hits, no walks. And no runs, of course, because Jacob DeGrom. He averaged 100 miles an hour on his fastball on Monday night. That's like, I can't even, I don't even have any words for that. Like, what the fuck? No, he's not human. He literally isn't human. Like, 
it's so great too because there had always been like the you know fear by some people in the baseball world that Jacob Degrom's injury wasn't originally what the Mets were saying. He's shown that no, it really was like the uh, what was it? I don't know what this muscle's called over here. Lat. That his lat or whatever it was was just sore. It's really just what it came down to. Everything else seems to be fine and working great for him. So all the people who were like, "Oh, the Mets are hiding stuff." Uh, yeah, shove it. Jacob Degrom looks sick. Best pitcher in baseball. And he just continued. I, I just read one of the notes that you put here. The at-bat to Domingo Leyva. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't. That literally wasn't fair. No, I wrote those criminal because it yeah. was. Like, Jacob DeGrom should go to jail for what he did. So it was named uh, Domingo Leyva, Dominic D- Leyva? Domingo Labia, yeah. Domingo Labia. Well, <laughs> messed up after dark. <laughs> but he just, he threw him three sliders in the exact same spot, basically, just varying their, like, height a little bit and their depth. And after the first one that, like, started at the bottom of the zone and cut to his bank an- back ankle, Leyva stepped out of the box and was, like, fixing his batting gloves, and he was, like, staring at DeGrom, like, all right, yeah, I'm ready for this, I'm ready for this. And he proceeded to whiff at the next two pitches, that were exactly the same as the first one. He had no chance. The booth was laughing. I don't remember Keith was doing the game, and he was like, oh, this poor kid doesn't have a shot. <laughs> and he, he even entered the game without a hit on the season. I think he's left this series still without a hit on the season. It was just, it, it wasn't fair. No, they were so filthy that, like, there was just no physical way Domingo Labo was going to touch those. It looked like it was almost going to hit him. That's how filthy they were. That I was like, dude, you might have a better chance just standing there than actually trying to physically hit the baseballs because it looked like blitz balls, looks like wiffle balls, whatever you want to call it. He was sick, and of course, DeGrom also does it with the bat because why not? And that he was, gets an RBI that was, single. That was so dumb. At 106 miles an hour off the it's bat. Nuts. <laughs> what was the tweet you put up about that that yeah. banged for you? Yeah, I had a great tweet. I got about almost over 1,100 likes, which is pretty cool, near my near my top of all time. But I said that Jacob Degrom had the base hit 105.6 off the bat, his hardest hit ball of the year. And then I said that Anthony Rendon's hardest hit ball of the year is 105.4 miles an hour. So Jacob Degrom has hit a ball harder than Anthony Rendon this year. Anthony Rendon, a MVP caliber third baseman, formerly of the Nationals, now with the Angels, just to show. How hard DeGrom actually hit that ball? How much he earned that single? I think he's 9 for 19 on the season as it stands right now. Yeah, I think 9 for 19 or 9 for 20, um, which is disgusting because he's basically hitting 500. So We have to get the guy qualified for the batting title. He should DH whenever we play the American League teams. That would be so funny if like Jake DeGrom somehow gets the minimum at-bats to qualify and it's like he's hitting 475. What are we going to do? How could Jacob DeGrom's WRCs through the roof? And not only his bat, but the entire bats. They woke up. The bats mm-hmm. were hot. We talked about it. it's a great stadium and a great team to go into swinging the bat well. And the Mets continue to swing the bat well all series long. And it got started in game one. Pete, first game back, was huge. Four RBIs. And he was just smoking the ball all over the place. Yeah, it, it, we can't even describe how important it's been these last three days to get Pete Alonzo back with this team. We saw it today firsthand, which we'll get to as we return, but he put the team on his back Monday night when the offense was fine, but they weren't really getting the clutch hits. He came through with four RBIs. He put two balls in play of at least 107 miles an hour. Like, that's what we need Pete to do. He needs to be the bopper in the middle of our order who's driving people in, getting people home. We need that in his lineup so bad. We've been missing that for a couple weeks now since he's been out, and a lot of the other guys have been out, especially Conforto, and him filling that void was monumental. We got some runs off of McCann and Lindor as well, who were swinging the bat very well. Lindor putting one off the top of the fence out in left center field. That's like 415 feet away. He had to yeah. find the deepest part of the park, but Lindor started swinging the bat really, really well this series. Game one got it started, had some really good swings, really good at bats. He's still not 100% there, but we're getting closer and closer. It's good to see that we're starting to get the middle of our order really like back into the groove of things. Even Dom was getting hits. McCann, like I said, Those guys getting hits allows the dudes in the bottom of the order to be the bottom of the order guys. They don't have to step up as much. And then when they do, you get a game like game one where you're able to get the win because that's what happened. Everybody on this team stepped up game one. Yeah, everybody. I think what we're trying to get to right now is Billy Bombs, Billy McKinney being like this scrappy bottom of the order type of guy that a guy like Billy McKinney can be, who becomes very important to this team when he hits a clutch home run in the late innings and it lifts everybody up. Your tweet banged when you said that. Billy Bombs, you made up a nickname. Yeah, Billy Bombs, he will only be called that for the rest of the season. We like the nickname over here as well, that he's a competent Major League Baseball player, which is eventually going to become a t-shirt, I think. But Billy Bombs is a ball player. He's really, like, he is another one of those guys that 
he's going to give Al Mora a run for his money for that like last outfielder spot on this team when everybody's healthy. And even a guy like Mason Williams looked really good this weekend. Yeah. He got a nice hit in game one. He plays a good center field, made that sick catch against Domingo mm-hmm. Leyba, who absolutely smoked the ball to center. We didn't see it because the camera angles were terrible in Arizona. But all these guys really stepped up in game one, and Billy Bombs was one of the bigger guys to do it. Definitely. We probably don't. I mean, I don't want to say we don't win that game because we were winning anyway, but his home run actually made it become comfortable. And another guy you forgot to mention is Peraza. Yeah. Peraza put two balls in play over 95 miles an hour, too. A couple hits. Like He has been very important to the way this team is running, the way this bottom of the order continues to churn, that continues to help us win games, as our offense has lifted up in the last couple of weeks. And now we've become one of the better teams in baseball with runners in scoring positions. Funny how that garbage stat works. And then we also got to talk about the Ilar brothers, uh, Jonathan VR, just continuing to be a maniac. Uh, he got picked off in the first inning again, which was the theme of the series, but he's getting on base, which is just something Jonathan VR doesn't do. He's doing that. And then we got the return of Kevin Pillar and he got a hit. Because why not? Because Kevin Pillar is Rip Hamilton, except he's actually psycho. And how he's gotten a couple hits. Howie had a great comment about Jonathan VR during the call today, where he said Jonathan VR has actually assumed two very important roles for this team, where he's become the everyday, everyday third baseman, which is something this team lacked heading into the season, and that's very important, and he's done that admirably. But also, he's assumed the leadoff role that's been vacant since Nimmo went down. And I wasn't extremely confident Jonathan VR would be able to take on that role, especially given his free-swinging nature and kind of rambunctious past. And we've seen a lot of that as he's been on this team. But he's been great. He's been fantastic. This is a guy who's had like was known around the league for having bad at bats, and seemingly he's become very patient, but like aggressive. He's selective, you know, and that's something that you would have never said about Jonathan VR prior to this season. The weird thing that did happen in this game, though, was we got Trevor May. Coming off another rough outing, Miguel Castro had to clean it up for him. May's just really not feeling it right now. I don't know. I haven't been able to look at it deeply. I don't know if it's a mechanical thing. I don't know if it's pitch selection. I don't know if it's just, hey, listen, some guys are just hitting him. Sometimes you get unlucky, but he hasn't had a clean appearance in what feels like a couple weeks. No, yeah, I talked about it a little bit on Twitter. I think that was yesterday. It's been a long week. But he just it hasn't seemed to be able to locate his fastball since the calendar turned, which is kind of ironic because we gave him our messed up podcast, Macho, Macho Med of the Month, Shh. last month. No one needs to know that anymore. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, because now we, I gave it to Nito, too, coming into this month. And he's also had two pretty bad days since this happened, and he's, becoming, he's being usurped by James McCann again. But May just isn't really finding the tight location on his fastball that he was very good at doing the first month of the season where he was just peppering, 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 bang, 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 top of the zone, top middle. No one was hitting it because he throws gas and has tons of ride, which is very effective. He's either been like putting it too high or too inside now, which is getting him behind in counts just slightly more. That forces him to probably get a little more scared to throw his fastball down the middle, try to use more of his off-speed stuff, which is not really his bread and butter. And that's causing him to be less effective, probably causing him to get a little tighter, a little tenser. I'm sure that's all playing into it. I haven't dove deeply into it, similarly to you, but there's clearly something wrong, and I think that starts a fastball location, and we saw that again in Game 2. Yeah, uh, Game 2 was, yeah, oh, that one hurt. That was a loss that kind of ripped your heart out a little bit. That was a very winnable game by the Mets. Everything was going right at the start. We got off to a fantastic start. Yes. Dom hit a home run in the fourth, crushed it, which is yep. great because Dom finally used his fucking hips. And what do you know? Dom crushed it. He was able to elevate the ball, drive it. Was it right center field? He hit it onto like that like weird mm-hmm. upper deck thing. Yeah. Absolutely destroyed it. We got a triple from Lindor in the sixth. Dom got another sack fly. VR was hitting the baseball around the park. I mean, like everything was clicking again offensively for this team. Guys were starting to look better. Stroman was pitching good. And then the little spat happened with Josh Rojas. Mm-hmm. And as much as we love that Stroman wears his heart on the sleeve, sometimes it seems like it can maybe be a negative because it seemed like after that happened, Stroman lost his focus a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. This was a Diamondbacks team that had lost 14 out of 15 games, and they were again getting crushed as the fourth inning was ending on Tuesday night. I just Again, it's so important that Dom and Lindor have been hitting well. We've been banging this drum for a couple weeks now. Those yep. guys being good, like being what they are, being what they should be and what they could be, will take this team where it will be. Do that. But after the game last night, Josh Rojas admitted to the media that he 
really didn't have any problem with anything going on. He just wanted to create some animosity to start something just to get his team riled up. And it did exactly that. Yep. Exactly that. And I guess you respect as a baseball fan, something like that happening. I was watching just as a weird tangent, I was watching Pedro Martinez highlights earlier today because tomorrow, today, hopefully when you guys are listening to this or possibly yesterday is going to be the 26 year anniversary of Pedro's 10 inning uh, perfect game that was blown (laughs) because the Expos couldn't get a hit. So I just was down a YouTube rabbit hole of Pedro highlights. And there was a game where he was, I think it was, they were playing the Phillies and he hit a guy, Jeffries, right in the ribs, a game at the end of the season, probably just a pest, I don't remember. Greg Jeffries, Dalton Jeffries, uh, Dalton Jeffries again in the A's, who cares, whatever. Hit him in the ribs, happens, 90s baseball, whatever. Next at bat, Pedro's up with a sack, trying to sack bunt with a guy on first. Pitcher throws one right at Pedro's knees. He's like, whoa, easy there. He looks at him, he stares him down, drops the bat, ump, ump warns Pedro, ump warns the pitcher, yada, yada. Next pitch behind Pedro's back, he t- looks at the guy, takes off his helmet, chucks it at him, and just <laughs> bear hug, and just both benches clear going at it. Like Sometimes you just got to get the guys fired up. You can't let your team get batted down like that without creating some fire. And Josh Rojas created fire, and it really changed this game. Yeah, it changed the game. We saw Pavin Smith hit an app. Pavin Pavin? I think it's Pavin, right? I think it's Pavin. It could be Pavin. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever it is. Pavin Smith, I'm going to call him. First off, he's a ball player. He's very good. He's a ball player. one of the most underrated rookies in this league because mm-hmm. no one's talking about him when you're talking mm-hmm. about the young town in baseball right now. He's really good. First off, his eye at the plate is incredible. He has mm-hmm. just got really, really good discipline, works walks, and we got to see a little bit of that power in game two where he crushed a home run off Stroman. Yeah. Three-run homer, made it a 4-3 game changed everything like the the they definitely got a little you know fired up from josh rojas and whatever happened there the kerfuffle between him and stroman but then paven smith's home run was like oh we got a ball game again like there was a there was a good chance the mets could have put this team to bed real quickly yeah definitely and this can take me into my marcus stroman breakdown because that inning i believe that happened in the sixth that was top six yeah six. that was that was the beginning of the third time through the order for marcus stroman and something that we've told we've spoken about a lot with stroman this year is mixing up his pitches and he did not do that yesterday it was sinker 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 almost half of his pitches the entire game were sinkers and that inning with the top of the order coming up he gave up back-to-back singles to Marte and escobar it was a back-to-back. There might be someone else top of that order that he got out. Because I, I don't think it was a Maybe zero Maybe like out. Tim LaCastro or something. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he could have even been Rojas. But he gave up those base knocks, both to Cattell and Eduardo Escobar, on sinkers. And this was a theme because he was throwing sinkers all night. 16 of the first pitches of at-bats in that game yesterday were sinkers. He wow. was very rarely behind in the count. But even when he was, over 60% of the pitches behind the count were sinkers. And again, I'm now seeing in the notes, that Smith home run was also on a sinker. So all three of those hits, bang, 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 were sinkers, 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 sinkers. Like, I wish with a guy like Stroman, who has so many good pitches, who we've seen all of his pitches on display so many times this season, just use a couple more. This Diamondbacks lineup is not very good. So you would think you can get by with against them with a very sinker-heavy arsenal, try and keep your pitch count down like we saw him do in Colorado back in April, that series of cores. But this lineup does have a few hitters who can hurt you. And that sixth inning, those three guys, Cattell, Escobar, Cattell Marte, Eduardo Escobar, and Pavin Smith, those are three guys who have proven they can hurt you. And they hurt him on sinkers. And I just don't get why he was sticking with that pitch for so long. Yeah, uh, it was... Especially against like all lefties too, which was interesting as well. Something to note that inning, they're all swinging left-handed because they're all switchy switch hitters. Mm-hmm. And then Paven Smith is a right or a lefty just in general. He really felt like he was cruising, and I guess you're right. Like he okay. just probably got a little too predictable. And mm-hmm. they all those three guys are good major league baseball players. I know you're not no, a huge yeah. Eduardo Escobar guy, but I'm he's playing not, well. I'm conv- I know he's a good hitter. Like at the end, I wouldn't. I don't think he's like. I don't know. There are people on Mets Twitter saying, like, this is a guy the Mets should go after. Like, we, yeah. should, we should try and get the Wilder Escobar. He could be, like, a real third baseman moving forward. He's not that. He oscillates a lot. He strikes out too much. He doesn't make enough hard contact. Yada, he has yada, an extra yada. base hit machine, though. He does. He leads the league in RBIs, which yeah. I've said time and time again is the most useless stat in baseball. But he still does it, and he's, that means he's putting the ball in gaps a decent amount. He's a fine player. Fine player. He's a two, three-win player most years. Absolutely. A guy, though, that you can't just be throwing sinkers to constantly. Yeah. Same like, thing with Cattell Marte, who's just he was hot before he got on the IL and he's been hot since he got off of it. Cattell Marte is a bona fide star. If he wasn't playing in Arizona 
everybody would think that he's one of the better players in baseball. I think back to our MLB The Show franchise we ran last yeah. year during quarantine, where he was the leadoff hitter on your Yankees for yes. a collection of years. The guy is a star, but Stroman, you just can't have this deviation of this lack of deviation among his pitches. He threw 41 sinkers, 17 sliders, 12 splitters, which is cool. He threw 12 splitters, second most in the outing this year, but 12 colors, seven fastballs. That you can't have that scale. You can't have that scale. You're not. You're not going to be successful against, as we've said, competent major league hitters, which those guys are. And it was just. It was. It was tough, but we still had the lead. Familia, I think, came in next, right? I think Familia was the next yeah, guy out of the pen. And Familia is my boy. We we know I'm a big Familia guy here. He's back. He's good. His stuff is filthy. He threw, I don't remember what sinker, or who, it was like, I think for a strikeout, he threw a sinker that looked like it was about like a curveball, the way that it moved, how much it broke, but it came in at 99 miles an hour. Like it started at the guy's belt and ended at his feet. When Familia is clicking and has that velo and has that movement, you simply cannot hit the ball hard against him. Now, of course, it was still kind of vintage Jerry's familia, as you said, because there was an error. There were some doinky Whoa. hits here and there. And, like, that's just kind of what happens. But he still gets the job done. Definitely. I just wanted to reference the whole vintage familia thing that people say all the time, especially these last couple weeks, as he's been very good, which, in a sense, is vintage familia because he had some very good seasons for the Mets 2014, 2015, beginning of 2016. One of, I'm not going to say one of the better relievers in baseball, but a very good reliever. No, he was but during the time. He was he one was of the better dur- closers. He was gr- yeah, maybe. Yeah, top 15, top half. No, of the he was top five. Top five? Are you outside of your mind? He was top five. All right. We'll t- maybe talk about this off air because I don't have any <laughs> statistics to back this up, whatever. But this whole vintage familial line cracks me up because it's all... It's only brought up when he has an inning that makes me want to die. <laughs> it's like second and third, one out, three one count, or it's like what, what's happening right now? I can't. I can never get comfortable. Yaris Familia on the mound. He gets the job done. He's been doing it this year, but he makes me want to gouge my eyes out most of the time because I'm just terrified for my life. Every I never doubt outing. Never doubt Jerry's Familia. That mm. is my boy. He's been killing it. He's been good. And then we got to get Lupin to face lefties for what seems yeah. like the first time ever. Also, Diamondbacks do a horrible job of spreading out their lefties throughout that lineup. They love to stack like four in a row. And it's like, yeah. you don't need to. Like, you have the switch hitters, too, that are so talented. Just put them up a little bit. But Loop did good, which was nice because he'd been, I don't want to say struggling a little bit because he's still having a very solid season for the Mets. But it hadn't been as lights out as you would hope, which I guess that's kind of also not fair to really say. Yeah, if you ask a Mets fan at random, especially one in the age bracket between 40 and 55, they would tell you that Aaron Loop has a 5 ERA. Oh, yeah, no, they have no clue. He's, what, 2-3, I think he is? 2-4, like, yeah, he's been awesome. He's actually his been issue had been good. walks, I yeah. think. He, like, hasn't given up any hits, and he's striking out, like, more than a batter every inning. So it's like, the stuff is there. It's just, he's our, you know, 10th guy or 8th guy out of the bullpen, whatever it is. But he's not. He's kind of the 5th. I guess. I get just for lefties though. Like, yeah, I know. But again, it was good to see him actually use in a situation where he could use that. I think they call it a cutter, even though it's kind of a slider against yeah, the left-handed batters. It's great. It's great to watch him do that. He's underrated. He's unheralded. And I think he's going to be a big piece moving forward. Then we're going to get to the bad parts of this game. Things we have to discuss. Our bats went dead quiet against a poor Diamondbacks bullpen, and it left us with our hinds uncovered in a situation. Where Edwin Diaz was on in a one-run game, something he's been very good at this year. He hadn't blown a save at all coming into the night. And then I guess I'll let you take this from here because this is a point you've been harping on. Yeah, so there was a play. Who hit it? I don't remember who exactly hit it. It wasn't Pavin. Was it? It was someone who hit it down the line. I think it was a righty maybe. No, it was Nick Ahmed. It was Nick Ahmed. Nick Ahmed. So Nick Ahmed's up in the ninth inning and like a baseball cardinal rule or whatever. It's not one of these unwritten rule things, but it's just like, Kind of like playing no doubles outfield in the defense and or no doubles outfield. No doubles defense in the outfield. Oh my god, I struggle with that. It's kind of like doing that with the infield. You guard the lines, and this is a thing you'll hear Keith talk about nonstop in the ninth inning when he sees teams not doing it. Oh, geez, not guarding the lines in the ninth inning, like you couldn't catch me dead. And I agree with him, and it ended up hurting us this inning because Nick Ahmed squirted one down the first baseline. Ended up getting to the wall. McKinney made the error, and that's really what turned it from a single into a double. But it was also a ball that was preventable from getting a hit because if you guard the lines like you do in baseball, typically it's not a hit at all. Pete Alonso takes one step to the left, field it, throw to first, he's out. So me and James were having this argument here 
and you know argument it's lighthearted. we not really that mad but James is very much on the side of one McKinney's got to make that play which I agree yeah I definitely agree on that I think McKinney can't make that error there it's huge but he's saying that we have all this information and that knowing where these guys hit and having all that information and it's worked for us all year don't start doing guarding the lines and especially because it would have stopped the next guy who hit one in the hole and if you're guarding the lines Pete probably wouldn't have gotten there so it ends up kind of becoming a moot point because it doesn't really matter but I'm still guard the lines James is you know listen to the shifts listen to the numbers I'm interested to hear what you guys think so tweet us at messed up let us know if you're for guarding the lines or if you want to stick with the shifts live and die by it it's a good way to drive some interaction there. James, I'll let you say your piece here, though, because I feel like I talked for you a little bit. Yeah, you've taken most of the words out of my mouth, so I appreciate <laughs> that. But I just, I don't know. The shift has been so instrumentally important to the Mets' defensive success this season, and we have so much data at our disposal. Not we, our, our, you and I, but the modern baseball organization. They, The modern baseball organization is more advanced than financial organizations even 10 years ago. Like, we have that much at their fingertips. They have that much at their fingertips. So I think that, I kind of think that the old guarding the lines mantra is something that is done in lower levels of baseball, be it little league, high school ball, club ball, when you don't really have an awareness of every single ball the guy on the other side of the field has put in play every single time he's been at the plate in his adult life. So you do that because you don't have another defensive move to make. Like that is my chess move at this point in the game. Rather than perfectly lining my defense to where you always hit the ball, I'm guarding the lines because that's like an overarching defensive strategy. The way we shift in baseball now is that you are guarding hits every single play. And we saw that the next at bat when Pete just made a nice one hot pick in the exact same position on the next ball. And the corners of the outfield were still pinched on that Nick Ahmed at bat. And that's how Billy McKinney was able to cut that ball off with plenty of space to the wall. And if he just puts that ball in his glove and throws to the cutoff man, Nick Ahmed's not on second base. The single by, I don't remember, I think it was Well, Rojas it would have been Peralta. a double play yeah. on the Pete Alonzo ground ball. Ah, well, he would yeah, have held, yeah, held yeah, him yeah, on. Yeah. But I'm saying, no matter what, the, the guy who got the hit, it wouldn't have driven in a run. No. So I support the process of having our defense aligned where we, where the Mets think they should be aligned every single play rather than guarding the lines. And that may be against like the old baseball tenements. Keith would not be happy if he ever heard this. I know he's listening, so I'm sorry to <laughs> Keith Hernandez. But I'm very fine with the process that allowed that run to score. Honestly, though, like at the end of the day, it saved one hit. It didn't save another, whatever it would have yeah. been. Diaz just didn't have his best stuff last no. night, which is okay because he really has been so cash money in all save, save situations. If there was a game to do it, sure, whatever, rip my heart out. It was terrible. It was miserable. But the Mets then got a chance in the 10th, and my guy, James McCann, coming through with a little number of a double. I mean, I wouldn't call it a number, but he, he just smacked it. Got a little, little smacker, yeah. and he got a nice little double there. Was able to drive in a run, give us a one-run lead. Unfortunately, in classic Mets fashion, we kept him at second base. We didn't score him because we do tense up with runners in scoring position. But then we got to the 10th and Trevor May came in, which was to everyone's surprise. And I think a lot of people were expecting Lugo. I know I was. I don't know. if Were you expecting Lugo? I wasn't expecting Lugo just because I figured they wouldn't bring him back in a high leverage situation even though they didn't bring him back Monday in a low-leverage situation. So I guess they were looking for the medium leverage, which they got which, today. Which, didn't like, get... also wasn't, though, medium leverage. Like, it was only medium leverage because it was, what, the fifth and sixth inning? But, like, yeah, fourth he and fifth, had some like stressful at-bats in a tight game. So, to me, it felt like if Lugo wasn't ready to pitch in those high-leverage situations, which, we, which is what we need him for, don't activate him yet. Like, there was no reason that they had to have had him activate him Monday and Tuesday if they weren't going to use him. And that, to me, felt a little foolish. 100%. But I think there are two issues far greater than not using Seth Lugo. The, one, the first issue, which I touched on before, is the Mets needed to do better against his Diamondbacks bullpen. Yes, we you didn't hit to, against... You need to get more than one run in the 10th inning, especially when you get a leadoff double. So even with one run in, it's as if the extra inning rule was still intact where you had a guy in second no outs and the Mets did not score, which no. they've made a habit of doing over the last few weeks, where even with the AAA lineup the Mets have been putting out and now the quadruple-A lineup that we've upgraded to, <laughs> it's not good enough. It's just not good enough. And going into that 10th where you, you, uh, where you knew... I wrote 11th on here. It was the 10th. Where you knew Castro was burned, Diaz was burned, and May had a 26-pitch inning the night before that was stressful and he was ineffective 
again, he's been repeatedly ineffective, it wasn't going to be enough. And it just proved not to be enough. You just got beat. Mets got beat in one of those classic West Coast games the Mets seem to lose every single season. Usually it's in May. This year it happened to be in June, barely. But he just got beat. And it sucked. It not, Fucking it Josh like Reddick. Yeah, I hate that bastard. Such cheater. a schmuck. He's a cheater. He's a cheater, and that ball was foul. That ball is foul. Can that I... Ball, yeah, like, but, it's... It's modern, it's 2021, and we can't get a camera angle that is in every stadium that's on the fucking foul line. The angles that we were getting from the Diamondbacks, you were like, where are these behind the seats in the left in left field? Like, why are we, one, so far away from the line? And two, you're not straight on with it. So even if you do get a good view of the ball, you don't actually know if it's on that line or to the left of it. Also, one of the problems with playing on a turf field, the lines aren't painted. It's not chalk. They're painted on there. So when it hits... There's nothing that comes up. It's just simply like, I hope it hit white or I hope it hit green. Like, that's it. That was a foul ball, but also whatever. Yeah. But also, it's like poetic justice on the anniversary of Johan's no-hitter. <sighs> yeah, no. Which is kind of funny. It's like I- irony. Like, 10 out of 10 Mets fans are like, I'll take the no-hitter over the D-backs game in June. Yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we didn't have one. I'll take one. We lose yeah. We lose to the Diamondbacks all the time. Whatever. We're, yeah. we, or we beat them, I guess. We lose to the Diamondbacks every year. Every year, the Mets lose at least a game to the Diamondbacks. I'll take it. This had to be it. Whatever. I don't really care. Happens. And, and luckily for us, game three. Yeah, let's move on to game three. I think one of the key stories in this game is this being a YouTube game, one of the few that MLB puts out every year. Our boy Mark had a feature spot in the chat, which was a ton of fun, talking to Omar Minaya, former yeah. general manager. Got to talk to Omar. Me and him go way back. A uh, little fun story here about Omar Minaya. I went to a Man City Chelsea game at Yankee Stadium. Shout out to Cole Phillips. His dad was VP of Legends at the time. We showed up early to the game because we had a suite. And when we walked in, they were like, oh, who are these 14-year-old kids? Cole goes, oh, my dad is, you know, and he says the dad's name. And they freaked out. They had a panic attack because they're like, oh, my God, this is my boss. Like, we have to get these guys exactly where they need to be. Everyone was supposed to get one Chelsea flag. They handed us, like, a pallet of them. We each came home with, like, 25, 30 flags. And after the game, we're riding the elevator down from the suite Omar Minaya and his son get on the on the elevator with us and I go oh my god that's Omar Minaya like as even as a 14 year old I knew who that guy was put together the great 2006 Mets but him and his son go where'd you guys get those flags we didn't get any I go Omar I got like 30 dude take them like please so I gave Omar Minaya and his son Justin Minaya who's now a basketball player at South Carolina another weird connection there gave him some flags so it was good to talk to Omar again talking some farm a lot of people ask him good questions about what it's like to be a GM, even though he's not that anymore, but it was cool. It's always interesting and, you know, really, I don't want to say like cool because that's kind of lame, but like it's it's fun to interact with guys that do have such an insight on like the everyday, like intertwinings of the New York Mets organization, especially a guy who was so impactful in 2006. So that was cool. Yeah, it's fascinating. Omar Minaya, while he caught a lot of flack, built some great Mets teams, and he created like a real foundation of youth that the Mets didn't regain until this current core. So it's you have to kind of give some credit where it's due to Omar Minaya and his team building process. Even though and one of the, I, th- yeah. I thought one of the really cool things that he said was that one of the hardest things about being a GM was that he loved scouting. That that's his like true passion is scouting talent. And that when he was a GM, he couldn't really go out and scout too much because he was too busy handling like day-to-day operations. So I thought that was one really cool thing. And I think the Mets have kept him around as a scout. I think he's still part of the organization. He was definitely part of the organization during the Brody years. And he was t- com- chatting today from the New York Mets official handle. So he's at least affiliated with the team in some capacity. Which is fine. I like having Omar around. He gets some talent. But now back to the game. It was like poetic justice like an exorcism to jump on Madison Bumgarner early. It was beautiful. It felt so good. Like, oh, they came out and they got, I think, six straight hits. Uh, Fuck you, Bob Nightingale. He tweeted out six straight hits by the Mets, immediately a double play. So fuck that guy. You want to do the Bauer shit, then you're going to do this. Fuck you, Bob Nightingale. Stand by that. But everybody was swinging the bat well. VR, getting off to a hot start, smoked it off the wall in left field. Somehow only got a single, but it's literally because he hit it too hard and LaCastro played it perfectly. So he started off with a very long single, followed up by Lindor roping a ball for a single. We Mm -hmm. got Pete Alonso coming up. He got a single, I believe, or no, or James McCann. James McCann was hitting three. Yes. James McCann crushes it. Yard. Donger. Destroyed. My boy, James McCann, has five (laughs) extra base hits in his last five games. The catcher I always knew was in there. The hitter I always knew was in there. It's great to have him back. I think he's hitting close to 500 over the last, like, seven days, which is great. It was, like, seven for 17 or something crazy like that. Five yeah, hit, five games, hit, lacing the ball. That's what we need. His, his average is up to, like, 230. 
Yeah, just like that from one game. Yeah. So he he had a really solid game. We then got a hit from Dom, and then who was hitting five? I don't remember who was hitting five today. I don't even know. I'll look right now. Pilar? Was Pilar hitting five? Could have been Pilar. Or it went Pilar five and then Dom six, whatever it was, six straight hits, followed up by a double play. But we got off to a hot start four nothing lead going into the first. So we go, this is exactly what David Peterson needed. We needed the runs. He's going to feel comfortable out there. And boy, were we wrong. David Peterson was horrendous. Awful. I I had a, like a hysterical like back and forth moment this morning with David Peterson. I was writing my weekly baseball gambling picks for pitcher list and i've been ice cold over the last like three or four weeks awfully cold <laughs> and i was like peterson under peterson doesn't usually perform that well when he has more than a week of rest i look back i was like wait he actually had a couple good games a week of rest like maybe he will be okay diamondbacks suck diamondbacks already saw him he'll adjust to them they'll might they won't adjust back to him so wrong diamondbacks have this guy's number yeah he does not have a clue how to pitch against them i think i tweeted out two innings total in two starts against the Diamondbacks, which is terrible from a starting pitcher. Two innings. I think he has six hits, six walks. He gave up eight earned runs, so that's good enough for an ERA, I think, at 31.5 and a whip of 16. Oh, my God. Or 12. 16 or 12. I don't remember what it was. Bad. Not good. Very, very bad numbers. Good thing we're done with the Diamondbacks, and we won't have to see David Peterson pitch against them for a year, but I think it brings up a real question as to whether or not there's like a serious concern here with the way David Peterson's pitching because it does today, especially his mechanics were gone. He did not know how to throw a strike. He didn't know where the ball was going. No, he couldn't. He couldn't do anything that he wanted to do. It seemed like everything looked difficult, like laborious. That could be our SAT word first time in a month. Nice. But it just looked awful. Like I don't even have a breakdown for Peterson. He was just completely lost. And it does beg the question as to, what is next for this the back end of this pitching staff because now we know we've kind of been we've had in the back of our minds that we had Syndergaard and Carrasco back by this time they'd be the saving grace to fill in the back of this rotation and take this team to the next level and now we know that's not happening anytime soon no so Peterson either has to just nut up yeah or we need to make a change quickly because it's like three out of four starts now where he's been completely lost and we can't afford especially like if this team is clicking offensively to waste those games no and that's what it felt like was like oh great here we go again that's it Mets lost this one because we got our pitcher knocked out in the first inning we're going to get someone who has been good this year and actually was good in this game very good but just felt like the entire tide got shifted if the Mets came out there and put up a goose egg in that first thing they win that game easily it's like such a big thing especially like shutdown innings in, in baseball not just at the major league level, but all levels, a shutdown inning is huge. When your team goes out there and puts up a crooked number, it's incredible what it can do to another team's morale when you just go one, two, three, or mm-hmm. you don't even give them a shot. The worst thing you can do is let a team hang around. That's what the Met let, Mets let the Dimebacks do today. Definitely, and I think a big reason they did was because Ketel Marte, as I said before, is an actual superstar. Yeah. Like five for 12 this series. Like we couldn't get the guy out. And he was roping the ball. There were no cheapos here. He hit that home run today, estimated 451 feet. That was a tank, a donger, as we like to say. He kills left-handed pitching, too. He owns yeah. it. And he that, kills everybody. And it wasn't a good recipe for success, either, that like the first four guys in the lineup all kill left-handed pitching. Yeah. So Dave Peterson <laughs> had a tough start to begin with, but even more so because, weirdly, the Dimebacks just own four guys that crush left-handed pitching. Definitely crush. And Dimebacks can't hit, and they just they crushed us. But you mentioned it. Gazelman was a savior yet again cleaning up a mess that was made. He's been an unsung hero for this team. I don't know how he does it. He's just throwing that sinker, and guys just are not hitting it hard. 72% sinkers today, 72%. I saw a Twitter breakdown, I don't remember who did it, that he actually has a much lower release point this year. So hmm. I guess for a tall guy like Gazelman, he's getting more extension, so kind of as I'm extending into my camera. So I guess that makes it seem like the ball is coming in a little bit harder, and that probably helps it dip a little bit. I don't know. I'm not a physicist. I'm purely guessing on that. Educatedly guessing. But soft contact God. There was only one ball in play by Diamondbacks today on Gaselman that was over 100 miles an hour. And it was that liner right into Pete's glove that yes. he whipped the double play on, which was roped. That was roped. Yes. And Gaselman made a sick play as well for himself, that like little chopper off the mound. Like he turned mm-hmm. into a little bit of a. He's always been, I think, a good athlete, oh, but that was, a, that was a very nice play by him that helped get him out of some trouble as well. Gaselman was huge. 
The weird thing that happened was VR got hurt because, of course, he was having another great game hitting the ball well. I think he was two for three to start the game. Yeah. And then uh, because it's the 2021 New York Mets getting transported back to a little bit of the 2000, you know, five 2006 Mets with Omar, a hamstring injury because that's going to happen, it seems like. I don't know what's going on. We're not drinking enough water. We're not stretching, but we got to fix this. Too many hamstrings. It's soft tissue injury. It's been a theme around baseball this year. It's not going to stop. We already have more players on the injured list this season than at any point in 2019 or 2020. This is going to happen every team in the league. It's hitting us worse right now. Is it going to hit everybody else? Probably not as hard as us, but also very hard. So we just got to continue to fight. Use gr- it seems to mentioning their grit a lot, how much everyone's picking each other up. You love that team sense, but then you look at the lineup and Travis Blankenhorn is hitting. I texted you, when did we get Travis Blankenhorn? I, that went completely over my head over the last 48 hours. I missed that altogether. Yeah, he was he was part of the lineup the other night. He was on the bench. They're like, newly acquired Travis Blankenhorn. Couldn't tell you where they got him from. No. Couldn't tell you anything about him, but he's got a great last name. Yeah, so hopefully he gets a big hit so we can do something with that because that sounds fun. It's Marco Scudero with a disguise. Yes. Uh, Lugo came back. This was his first appearance of the season off of the elbow surgery. And, uh, oh, yeah, he's good. He's really good. Yeah, this guy everyone forgets is, like, just one of the best relievers in baseball. Oh, now we have him back in our best ballpen in baseball. Top 10 in K-minus walk percentage since the beginning of 2019. Up there with the names like Hayter, Hendricks. Like, that's how good he is. That's who yeah. Seth Lugo is. He is one of the best relievers in baseball. He came back today with a vengeance. That curve, his bread and butter, already today, his first outing of the year, had the most RPMs of any curve in baseball. Nasty. It was, I think, like 3,300 or something like that, something right? Something like that, yeah. And we don't yeah. know exactly how much RPM. Like, that, there's not, like, a direct correlation with it being good. But with Lugo's, it definitely is because that thing's a breaker. Well, it's the only thing that's kept him or even caught an eye of somebody was that he had such high RPM. That's the only yeah. reason he's even a major league baseball player because they're like, man, he knows how to snap a curveball. He was good, ran into a little bit of trouble, gave up a run. But really, for his first appearance, going two innings, he did a pretty fine job. Like, I'm I'm really happy to have this guy back. He is going to help lengthen this bullpen even more than it already has been. And especially when a guy like May right now is struggling, mm-hmm. we couldn't get Lugo back at a better time. Definitely. It's everyone picking each other up. It's going to keep doing it. And I think it is important that the Mets waited for a spot for Lugo to give them length. Because given the struggles that Peterson's had and given the fact that we still don't have a fifth starter because Joey Lucchese has not earned that title, at least not in my mind, we're going to need more guys to give multiple innings, and Lugo is going to be one of those guys. Yes, which now moves us to the ninth inning where we were tied up, right, I think, at this point? We were tied up, yes. Tied up, and Lindor, my guy, he's coming through. He hit balls hard again today. He -hmm. got a huge hit for us. Turned a single into a double, but he was thinking two the entire time. But I think they called an error, right, on the it outfielder, did. which is a crazy call by the, the scoresman. We're, we're calling it a double. The, Met, the official scoring of the Mets Dub podcast is a double. Lindor's fourth consecutive game with an extra base hit. His OPS back over 600. That's the real scoring, not just my scoring, because I am off the hook again. My firstborn will have a normal name, probably. Yes, no Chalupa normal, Batman. Normal-ish. Not Chalupa Batman. So na- a weird name of my choosing, potentially, but that's fine. And then... Pete drove him in. Big Meat Pete back. Big Meat Pete's back. They didn't walk him, which is crazy. I don't know how you not you don't walk him when there's an empty base and one out. You could have gotten out of the inning with a double play. Didn't walk him. Big hit. Edwin Diaz comes in, shuts the door. Mets win. It was so important for this team to come into today hot, score in the first inning, and just close the door and get this win, even after the Diamondbacks came back. After the gut-wrenching loss on Tuesday, showed a lot of determination, perseverance. It really gives me a different taste in my mouth about the direction of this team moving forward yeah and just the bats being alive is so nice to see Lindor hitting Pete hitting McCann hitting Dom hitting four guys who really hadn't hit together at all this year seemingly did it in two games which is fantastic and those were the two games we won go figure Mm -hmm, definitely and we were talking about how good the bullpen is with Lugo coming back to before I just found a quick stat in the moment about this from Andrew Perpetois who's developed the XStat system. He's a, not a prominent member of Mets Twitter, but he lurks, and he's a brilliant guy. He doesn't follow me back, which is upsetting because he interacts with me a lot, which is <laughs> sad. But coming in today, the Mets bullpen FIP is 3.16. Since the year of 1970, that would be the 42nd best FIP of any bullpen. Wow. So that's 50 years of bullpens were in the top 50. Top 50, that's like one of the best of... Yeah, that, ever. Who cares? One, one of the better bullpens in the modern era through however how many games we've played. 56 right now? 57? 
Yeah, something like that. We're in sure. the fi- low 50s, I think, here. So I'll Almost played a full 20-20 and one of the best bullpens of all time. So take yeah. that as you will. Mets are looking really strong. Good series victory over the Diamondbacks, which could have easily been a series loss. Mm-hmm. But this team scrapped it out, won it, and we're sitting in first place still. Watch out, Braves and Phillies. We're starting to you know, get away a little bit. We're starting to distance ourselves, making that gap bigger. Love to see it because this Mets team's only going to get stronger as we get going. Now... Let's talk about some of the guys that aren't currently on the Mets. Let's talk about the farm. This is something mm-hmm. that you told me you want to do during the midweek episodes after a series. A little mm-hmm. farm report. So, James, I'm going to let you take the reins on this one here. Tell me about the young guys coming up. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about the Mets farm right now. Again, we're going to do this every single week in our midweek episode. So get used to us talking about the kids. Something that's awesome going on in the Mets farm system right now is the fact that Ronnie Mauricio, Francisco Alvarez, and Brett Beatty Whoever you want to slice it, those are probably the Mets' one, two, and three best prospects in the entire system, are all playing right now at the Brooklyn Cyclones. So all of our fellow New Yorkers out there, get down to Coney Island, go to Nathan's for a dog, ride the Cyclone, and watch the future of the Mets just bang some homers uh, right, right through, I don't even remember, uh, recently renamed Mamadides Park, right onto Mamadides. the beach. Mamadides. a big-time hospital in Brooklyn. Huh. Last night, and Wednesday night, I don't know when you guys are listening to this, Francisco Alvarez had his first home run for the Cyclones, the same game that Brett Beatty had his first home run for the Cyclones. Beautiful thing to see all these guys maturing and building a relationship together because we think that they all probably will spend a lot of time together as the years move on. Like you talk about Pete, McNeil, Conforto, Nimmo. At some point, well, maybe not really Conforto, but those guys all kind of intermingled with each other in the minors. This is the next group of core guys that looks like they're going to be a part of this Mets future. They all look like really good players. Guys who had, you know, had some hype, top 100 prospects, oh, yeah. but I think are definitely starting to climb up these leaderboards here, leaderboards, but rankings, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them, especially Francisco Alvarez. Everyone is like, yo, this kid's good. And Omar even said it. Omar said that's the guy yeah. he's most excited about. Definitely. I think that's who everyone's most excited about. People outside of the Mets are extremely excited about him. He's looks like one of those potentially like organizational foundation bats, which... It's great. it's great to have a couple of those coming up the pipe, but the bats are good, but those guys are far away. I would like them not to be so far away, as I talked about last week, but realistically, they are very far away. It doesn't seem like the Mets are going to be particularly aggressive, which is fine. I'm not running the team, nor should I be. we got to talk about the pitchers and the upper minors because we need some help in this rotation stat. And yeah. the guy who I've been talking about over and over again, who I hope will get a chance soon, is Thomas Sapuki. He hasn't pitched since May 29th in AAA. He had kind of a rocky couple of weeks where he came up to 27th man. He might have had COVID. Then he pitched again, whatever. His control has been an issue all season. That game on the 29th after he was shuttled up and down for last week's doubleheader with Colorado. He had five walks in three innings. A guy who struggled with control, that's not good. But his control had actually been very good every single one of his appearances before. So I think it might have just been like a comfortability comfortability thing. Guys to get in a groove. We got to see this guy sooner rather than later. It's shocking yeah. he hasn't been given a chance yet, especially based on the fact that he's on the 40 man roster and he was brought up for a doubleheader. Like he's right on the precipice, right freaking now. And next time around the rotation, next time we speak to you guys, I hope we hear from Thomas Sapuki. Yeah, it'd be nice to see him get some innings out there. He's a guy that the Mets have had around for a little bit, and there's always been murmurs of what's he going to be like. It was always him and David Peterson that I always like kind of put in the same category of each other as kind of pitchers but peterson got that shot first he's also a first round pick i don't think zapuki was so you know you have that as well they're gonna shuttle a first round pick up there before they do the other guy especially if they're kind of on the same level which it kind of seems like they are right now definitely now neither of these guys that we know now with peterson i'm going to say this with zapuki have frontline rotation potential their ceilings aren't that they're going to be at best mid-rotation guys fillers your traxels your mains your nieces Gio Gonzalez. Gio Gonzalez is your Dylan G's. Like, these are what these guys are oatmeal. These guys are oatmeal. You need oatmeal. It helps you digest. But we're going to get these guys up. One guy who I've become much more excited about recently is one Tyler McGill, a starting yes. pitcher who was just brought from AA to AAA this week. This is our guy, Joe DeMeo's guy, so I'm going to shout him out. I messaged him earlier today to get a little, uh, like, a little deeper report than we can get in most of the interwebs and, like, the few videos I was able to find. Joe gave me a nice spot. And also, just to shout out Joe's new show on SNY, The Mets Prospective with uh, Jacob Ramp. What's that? Resnick. Name? Resnick. I was going to say Ramsick, just like the t- tackle on the Saints. <laughs> but yeah, great show. Watch it. They're really diving into the Mets prospects more than we are now. But 
Just for a moment, McGill was an eighth rounder in 2018 out of Arizona. He started off at Loyola Marymount, so he kind of fought through a little adversity just to get from a small school to a big school. He was absolutely cruising in double-A, but like he's 25 years old, so he should. He's also 6'7", which is a pretty fun stat to mention. I like love really tall pitchers, like especially once you throw gas, because McGill is up to 97, as Joe told me nice. recently. And he nice. was sitting 94, 95 earlier. A couple of years ago, he was only in the 93-ish range. So to see that velocity climb, you get shades of some of the other guys on this team. Yeah, who have we seen do that before? I don't know. That's just that guy named DeGrom, whatever. Yeah, a little happier right. magic being sprinkled here and there. But that's cool to see velocity going up for a guy who's entering his physical prime. 40% K rate, 6% walk rate, double A. That's Ooh. electric stuff. Jesus, 40%? Yeah, like, really good, really, really good. Near the tops of all the upper minors with those numbers. Like like with guys like Alec Manoa and like Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, some of the best prospects in baseball. He's always been a 10K per nine guy, every single level. He's always been old for the levels, so he should be doing that, but it's still good that he's getting the results that you covet. The one detractor to McGill is he really only has two pitches, that upper 90s fastball that we mentioned with ride. He's not afraid to throw high and in to anybody. And he also has a hard slider, which Joe told me he changed the grip on recently. It's more of a hard slider than a sweeper. So those two pitches at least will give him a floor of a pretty good reliever. But he's begun to work on a changeup. It's still very inconsistent. He hasn't worked it in very much, but you don't really have to in those minor league levels when you have the, the fastball, because fastballs really overpower young hitters, especially high ones. But this is a guy getting pushed up at AAA who we're probably going to see at some point this summer. And he's someone who excites me greatly. Yeah, no, I, I like everything you're telling me. 40% K rate, big tall kid, throws hard. Give him a shot. Why not? I mean, it can't be worse than Yamamoto, Lucchese, <laughs> some of the guys that we've thrown out there. I, I'm interested. I'm going to keep an eye out on this guy for sure. Anybody else you got a little, little eye on for here? Yeah, I got my guy Alex Ramirez, who I want everyone to know is going to be a top 100 prospect before the year is out. Possibly oh, wow. the middle of next season. He just got to add to the St. Lucie roster as the Mets have pushed some guys up like Francisco Alvarez. Alex Ramirez and JT Jin, the former second-round pick, I think, coming off Tommy John. Yes, he was his previous year's draft uh, second-round pick. He has first-round top 15 quality stuff coming off Tommy John. Hadn't pitched for a year. People were scared. Made his first appearance, so that's huge. Yes, yeah. And Jin, like Ramirez, those guys are physical freaks. Ramirez more so. This is my guy. He has, like, top prospect potential. He just has those physical talents that ooze. I talked about a month ago, last time we really dove into these, these guys. He's a guy to watch out for. Keep tracking those St. Lucie box scores. Watch him run around the bases. Watch him hit homers. It's going to be fun to watch that guy's maturation in the system. And now, as we finish our prospect preview, let's close out the episode with the Padres preview. A little alliteration. Yeah, um, good and bad. Tatis isn't going to be playing from what it looks like, uh, which is you know good for us because he's like arguably the best player in baseball currently on the field. He's pretty sick. Bad for baseball because when Fernando Tatis isn't playing baseball, the entire community loses. This guy is one of the most talented special players that we've seen in a very, very long time. He's going to take over Mike Trout at some point in the future for the best player in the game. He is so ridiculously good and he's still like figuring things out. He's still getting better. He has like, he has, he goes through times where he's in these deep slumps because he's getting too aggressive. He has to work on his fielding, but even then, He's still so incredibly good. We don't get to see him. That's great. Yeah, it is great. And we play them again next week, so we might actually miss him twice, which is kind of a funny Huge. caveat of the double. Like the, You play teams very consistently. Like You play a series, and you play another series, and you immediately play that same team again, which is dumb, but it might help the Mets here. The guy's missed 15 games. He's on a 50-50 pace, which you really don't see very often. But past Tatis... This Padres team is still very good, very deep. They sustained a couple more injuries today, which actually might help the Mets. Ha, ha Sung Kim and Tommy Pham had a scary collision. Yeah. As both were starting to heat up, especially Tommy Pham, who you know is my guy. Yep, and Tommy Pham tried to fight, I think, Ha Sung Kim, or one of the coaches. They had a scuffle, It really? was, and the one of the coaches basically like took him and just pushed him into the tunnel. It was like, we're not doing this. But Tommy Pham, kind of an asshole, I'm not going to lie. I mean, you don't, usually you don't get stabbed by accident. <laughs> Like, yeah, there's got to be something going on there. But I'm sure Tommy Pham's an asshole. He doesn't get the respect he deserves. I will not. That's will a, he's not, a good ball player. I will not disparage Tommy Pham in any way. He's one of my favorite players in the league. He does everything right. He doesn't swing at bad pitches. He's an athlete. Hits the ball hard. Puts in the gaps. Doesn't strike out. Steals bases. Does it all. Old school baseball player. But past that, we got Taiwan pitching a night game. It will be tonight. Maybe yesterday when you guys listen to this. Thursday evening against you, Darvish, which should be fun. We have the fabled blank spot in our rotation coming on Friday to go against new ace Joe Musgrove. 
Who's sick? Not, he's so good. He's so good. There's they're like some of the real statistics people in analytical minds think he's ascended to one of the best pitchers in baseball. Something I've been talking about for years. I knew it was in there. It's happening. That could be Sapuki though. Or maybe that is Lucchese. Possibly a combination of Sapuki and Lucchese. But we have to make that decision pronto because it's gonna be that's not an easy flight from Syracuse to San Diego. No. One I would like to make. San Diego's beautiful. Of course. Great place to hang out. Then we have a marquee matchup on Saturday of Jacob deGrom versus Blake Snell, which two, which we have an unbelievable edge, which I wouldn't have said two yeah. years ago, which is kind of fun. Let's hope he's uh, Blake Snell that night, which he kind of has been this year. The dude's been stinky, hasn't been pitching well. Obviously, like Cy Young caliber stuff, but it seems like ever since Kevin Cash pulled him early from that game, he cannot get past the fifth inning. I, it was before that, too. Blake Snell hasn't reached... The seventh inning, I think he's reached the seventh inning once since the his end of his Cy Young season in 2018. Saw a stat. I think I actually tweeted the stat. And I, I think he hit the now. sixth inning for the first time since tw- since the yeah. end of 2019. Yes. He, like two starts ago, which is crazy. And they followed up with the bad start. We also have Jake versus Blake, so a fun rhyme game. And then on Sunday, Sunday evening, it'll be a nice sunset game for all of our East Coast viewers. We have Marcus Stroman versus... That rat fuck Chris Paddock, who ever since he thought he was better than Pete Alonso, has crashed and burned. Down. He, he, like, you know, he for some reason started this fight with Pete Alonso for no reason. Pete Alonso, I don't think, has a bad bone in his body. That dude just seems like he's like, I'm playing baseball. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I'm happy. Chris Paddock started beef with him. Like, yeah, he struck out Alonso or whatever, but Alonso won the rookie of the year. He... Alonzo's winning. I think that's all we need to say is Alonzo's winning this weird, rough, you know, fight that they have with each other. Paddock has not looked good. No, he, he is just, he was like very much a fastball changeup pitcher to begin with, but people have just figured him out. He is not getting like anything done right. Yeah, he, his fastball was much better as a rookie than it's been since. I don't know if that's like a baseball thing. I don't know if people figured him out. I don't know if it's a mechanical thing with him. Like he used to get a lot of ride in that fastball. He used to throw it high in the zone and used to blow by hitters and just hasn't done that since. And he has not really developed a curveball like people thought he could. He's tried to develop a cutter, which I think is actually his path to becoming a frontline guy again. It's not there. So good. I hope he crushes crushes ass. Strong. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to smack around the sheriff. Yeah, the sheriff with a bad nickname. Yeah, oh he's God. more like what's the dude who like. Uh... Is in the jail cell. What do they call that? He's the inmate more so than the sheriff. <laughs> wow. He's just not yeah. been very good. Anyone anyone with the nickname the sheriff, that's just a bad nickname. You should get a new nickname. <laughs> and, I mean, like, the Padres got good players, like you mentioned. Jake Cronenworth is just, I think both of, we like him very much so. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's so good. He does all the little things, and he also just is a good player in general. Uh, Eric Hosmer at first base has figured out things. Manny Machado's pretty good still. Oh, so he was next. Manny Machado yeah. like is starting to get hot again. He was a guy who started off the year cold. While they might not have Tatis, or I think Grisham might be back this weekend. I think Grisham, he's eligible to come Grisham off the IL Friday. Out. Yeah, but he just started hitting today, and they got Brian, they called up Brian O'Grady, who's another one of my guys. He was going to be my Padre to watch this series because he's going to be a thorn in everyone's side. The guy's so freaking annoying. He's like one of those classic twenty-six-year-old rookies who's like good but not good, and he's yeah. going to he's going he's just going to play and be good because he's on the Padres in a good lineup. It's going to be fun. San Diego, sunny, yada yada. He's he's going to be annoying this weekend, but. Let's split with the Padres. Let's go. We have we're playing them a couple times here coming up. I think we could try to get on their ass. And this is like a possible playoff matchup. They're one of the best teams in baseball. They are either one or number two, I think, on the rankings for most talented teams in all of baseball. They're fantastic. While we're going to be getting them a little bit down on their luck and not at their strongest, the Mets have an opportunity to at least get a little bit of a preview of what a playoff series could look like with this team. It's going to be very much a playoff atmosphere. Padres play every game super intense. They're a tough team to beat. Just hope we can, like you said, split. Split would be really nice, especially on the road. This is a litmus test. This is a litmus test for these Mets. We have our three best starting pitchers going in this series. It's a four-game series, so we have to just figure it out one game. But we need to prove that we're at least on the Padres level because that's who we're trying to match. That yeah. Every Mets fan, look, look across the field this weekend. That's who we're chasing. Let's get them. Let's get them. Let's beat the Padres. Hopefully we do. And kind of leads us out here to our bad Mets take of the week. And I think you guys probably saw this. It was all over Twitter. Uh, It came from, not actually from Twitter. It came from the Arizona Dimebacks broadcast of the game two where Marcus Stroman was on the mound. As you guys might notice, Marcus Stroman tends to wear a do-rag underneath his hat. 
not a big deal. Who cares? You shouldn't care. It's none of your business. Bob Brenly, former mine or my, former major league. What am I trying to say? Former Diamondbacks manager is like basically their Keith Hernandez. He's their color guy. He made a super super ignorant weird comment joke. I don't know really what it was. But basically, he said, like, oh, you never see... You remember Tom Seaver's do-rag underneath his hat? And it was just, like, super, like, out of touch, out of line, ignorant, unnecessary, a bad look all around. And shout-out to the other guy who was doing the game with him who just kind of ignored it and moved on because it was like, we're not even going to, you know, give any sort of attention to what you just said because it was crazy. But it's just, it's wild that, like, that's even said or thought about. Who cares? It's awful. It really makes you realize, like, I guess how, like, different the awareness is of just, and also, like, of the, how the awareness of certain sensitivities in different parts of the country. Like, these guys dwell in Arizona. There's not, there's much less diversity there than a place like New York. It was just very awkward. The racial undertones were just stark. Like, what are you trying to bring attention to? The fact he's wearing a do-rag, the fact that he doesn't look like Tom Seaver. Like, there's no way you can construe that to where it's okay. And he, like, talked today about how he's going to undergo sensitivity training. Like, oh. 70-year-old guy undergoing sensitivity training. Like, it's really easy to do that. I'm sure that would be very useful. It's just freaking weird. It was like, I don't think the guy's, like, overtly racist or no, anything like that. He's not a bad guy, I don't think. But, like, what he said was clearly a mistake. It was, like, super bad tone, not smart, very ignorant. And thankfully, like, he apologized, realized, like, what he did was, like, very wrong. And he's like, hey, talk to Marcus Stroman, apologize. Like, we're all good there, which I, I take his word. I'm sure he's not lying about that. And I'm sure Marcus Stroman isn't, you know... Just like I hate this guy coming for his job, anything like that. Yeah, he's just. But like, it was definitely just like disrespectful. Yeah, he's like, this is an ignorant asshole. Like I have to deal with this all the time because I'm an African American major league baseball player, and people aren't used to that and don't really know how to respond when that happens. Especially because every single time Marcus Stroman seems to show emotion on the field or off, it gets called out on social media. I tweeted today that ESPN's coverage of this story was almost, I don't want to say as bad, but it was like almost 75% as bad as the actual comment that was made, where they, the headline was Marcus Stroman irked by comment with racial undertones from yeah. Arizona Diamondbacks announcer, which first of all, you're putting the onus of that story now on Stroman. The story isn't the comments that were made. The story is the way Marcus Stroman responded to it, which I think he responded fine, being upset. Perfectly fine. And the picture that ESPN used on top of their headline as the banner was Strowman drawing with Josh Rojas during the play where there was a little bit of animosity on the field. Those two irkings have nothing to do with one another. It's a shame that Marcus Strowman has to be irked multiple times in one night. It's a shame that he seems to be irked multiple times a week usually. Yeah. Why are you picking that? Why are you perpetuating this image of like this angry, feisty guy? That's just, it's not fair to Marcus Strowman. It's not fair to African-American players all over baseball. It's just not fair. It's not fair. It's not necessary either. No, ESPN does a horrible coverage of baseball to begin with. And recently, specifically for the Mets, it just seems like they're trying to spin anything that they can to be a Mets negative. Like you said, the way they wrote that made it seem like it was a negative on Stroman instead of him simply reacting to something that was negative said by someone else. Like, how did that get spun? It was the, the verb they used was irked and the picture they used was him yelling at somebody. Yeah. How could that possibly... I understand like ESPN's in the click game and that's all they're after is clicks because they're a bunch of rats. But you just have to like read the room there, have have a sense of self, have an understanding of what like real strong journalism with integrity is supposed to look like. And that's not it. Howie had the comment of the day, which was kind of funny. And like it was also like weird and ignorant in his old man nice way. But like it was yeah. cool where he was like, every Met should go out with a do-rag today. Where it's like, that's <laughs> also, that's not it. But at least you're trying. Like, sure. Like, doesn't make any sense. I don't think... A do-rag would really help Pete Alonso's waves very much. I don't, I don't think he would really help bring out the oils in his hair, but sure, I get that. It was it was a weird situation. I really wanted to move past it. It was just weird. I didn't like it. Yeah, it was super uncomfortable, and I can only imagine what Strom was feeling. Thankfully, it's behind us. It's over, and please, for the love of God, let this be the last time we have to talk about something like this. Just ELE, everybody love everybody. That's it. Simple, semi-pro, Jackie Moon. Just everybody love everybody. It's a very... Very easy rule to follow. Not that tough. But let's end on a positive note here. Mets are still in first place over the Phillies, over the Braves, over this terrible National League East division. The Mets are still the king. And guess what? That will still put us in the playoffs here. We're almost at the 60-game mark. And this team is looking a lot better than it did last year. And last year, they did not have the injuries that this team had this year. So 
I got to give some credit to Luis Rojas as well. I think he's done Definitely. a really, really good job. I think we're starting to see him get a little bit comfortable as the manager, understand what his day-to-day, everything is going to look like, making moves. He's been a lot more proactive with the bullpen. A lot of positives to take out of this Arizona Diamondback series, and hopefully we ride him into San Diego, get a couple wins, and keep growing that lead in the NL East because the way this team's playing, it's it, we're a legitimate team, and we've been saying it all season long. We said it before the year. Don't sleep on the Mets, and it feels like everybody keeps sleeping on us. Hopefully this Padres series is a way for us to prove that we can hang with the big boys. That is going to wrap up episode number 20 of the Mets Up Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mark Luino, Draft Neck Mark. James Chiano, Jeter had no range. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Mets Up, the YouTube channel Mets Up Podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys after the Padres series. Thanks so much for listening. 20 episodes. See you next time. Bye. Peace out.